It's great to have you this morning. I'm glad you all uh, survived the uh, snowstorm of 2022. Pretty fun stuff, wasn't it? So uh, it's great to have you. If you're visiting with us today, man, it's just great that you're here. And uh, before we get rolling this morning, I want you to turn over to uh, uh, Luke chapter 10. Just kind of hold that. We're going to spend some time there. And uh, as we've done before, I'd like to just stand up. We're going to read today's text, which is Matthew 7, 12 is the memory verse. And we're going to be talking about the golden rule. So let's go ahead and read this together. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for that is the law of the prophets. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we get into your word and we look at this, what seems like a very simple lesson, the golden rule, uh, Lord, that we realize how profound your teaching is and that everybody outside these doors they're our neighbors. And so, Lord, it's our responsibility to be the hands and the feet of Christ. And it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. So Mark Moore, who wrote Core 52, <clears throat> says this about the golden rule. The golden rule demands relentless action. Such is the difference between the rules of religion and Jesus' call to sacrificial service. Now, I don't know about you. I asked this first service, but how many of you grew up your whole life in church. Raise your hand if this is a second nature. Okay, so from the time I was born, went to church every Sunday, and uh, not just Sunday, every Wednesday night and Sunday night. How many grew up like that? Yeah, yeah, so I'm so sorry. So anyway, that was, that was my mom's way of keeping me out of trouble, I think, is we're just going to keep going to church. And um, so to say the least, I've heard a lot of sermons. Have you heard a lot of sermons? Have you ever thought about how many sermons you've heard in your life? So if I took my, my 61 years of existence and say 52 times that, over 3,000 sermons, and folks, that's not even close to how many I've heard. Now, how about we take all of the sermons all of us have heard, and if I said, now let's boil it down to your favorite one or two sermons. Could you do that? That you've ever heard? Think about that. Now, we would all have a different response to that question. But I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt, the greatest sermon ever preached, hands down, the Sermon on the Mount. When you read through Matthews chapter 5 through 7, I'm telling you without a doubt, this is the sermon that changed everything. There's one section in the Sermon on the Mount that I love. Jesus, time and time again, has this phrase. He says, you have heard it said... But I say, and then he goes on to say, here's the law. Now, I want to I just put enough of a twist on it that you realize you got to get deeper than just memorizing the law. That's what we're going to get into today. Matter of fact, uh, Jesus has this teaching technique that I absolutely love. This comes from a book uh, that I've been reading, and it's called The 307 Questions Jesus Asked and the Two That He Answered. It's been a great book. But here's what the author said. His name is Martin B. Kuppenhauer. And here's what he said. Jesus asked 370 questions according to the Gospels. He only directly answered eight of the 183 questions that they asked him. It gets better. That means Jesus was 40 times more likely to ask a question than to give a direct question answer. And you'll see that today. A lot of times somebody would ask Jesus a, a random question and Jesus would say, that's a great question. 
Then he would ask another question, and then he might follow it up with a story, and then within the story, he would ask even more questions. So that's what today is all about. Matter of fact, when you hear somebody talk about <clears throat> the golden rule, we need to understand before the golden rule, there was actually what was in that culture, a silver rule. Now let me show you how that worked. A hundred years before Christ, uh, there was a, a really well-known rabbi. His name was Hillel. And Hillel famously was asked by a Gentile studying the Torah, who was totally like, just it was too complicated. And asked Hillel, can you take the entire Torah and boil it down into a short paragraph so I can understand it. Matter of fact, can you shorten it to the point that if I stand on one leg, before I put that foot down, you've, you frame the entire Torah. Now, what we would like to do today is uh, maybe you're in a meeting. This is a good way to end the meeting. Can you sum up the meeting while I stand on one foot? Maybe do the Karate Kid thing, you know, maybe get that thing out. How many of you ever been in a situation that you want somebody to wrap it up? You ever have that? Or maybe there's somebody at Christmas telling a story, and you're like, seriously, get to the end of the Torah. You know, I'm like, go, go, go. Okay. So here was the answer that he gave, which is a classic answer. He said, if you can take the entire Torah, which would be the Old Testament, and boil it down, here's what he said. Halal said, that which is hateful to you, do not do that to another. That is the entire Torah. The rest is interpretation. Go study. In other words, don't do something to someone that you don't want them to do to you. Here's the issue. That's called the silver rule. And that is reactionary. And what we're going to see is what Jesus did is he took the silver rule and he applied gold to it. And he said, this is not being reactionary, how people treat you. It's about being intentional the way you treat others. And Jesus changes everything by defining who the neighbor really is in life. That's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at the golden rule, and we're going to look at the good Samaritan that plays out the golden rule. As I shared before, Jesus had such a remarkable way of asking these questions. So that's what I'm going to do today. I'm just going to ask three questions in regards to this amazing parable that at the heartbeat is the golden rule, and that is the good Samaritan. Question number one, who is Jesus talking to in Luke 10 when he gets to the story of the Good Samaritan? Who is he talking to? That's important. In Hebrews 13.8, we know it promises us that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and what? Forever. He's the same. So first of all, when we, anyone asks you about any story in the Bible, who Jesus is talking to, the first thing you need to remember is when he's talking to them, he's talking to us. Does that make sense? He allows us to eavesdrop and say, now, put that in motion. Um, our oldest daughter, Rachel, uh, and some of you probably have a child like this, she always had to know what was going on and was always listening to every conversation we had. But I don't know if it just made her nervous or if she's just um, sneaky. And she would go upstairs, and there was this one vent she would literally take off the vent and put her ear down, like, like get, get the next morning, boy, boy, dad, mom, that was a pretty big argument last night. I mean, she would just, I see we're falling short of the financials. I mean, she, she was just constantly listening. 
And you know what? We need to do the same. We need to get into the word of God and quit saying, boy, that's a great story for them and realize, no, it's a great story for us. He's talking to us. So you always start with, he's speaking to us, but there's another group he's speaking to. And what an amazing group. If you get to the very first part of Luke 10, Jesus takes these 72 followers. Some call them disciples. They're not the apostles. Some call them disciples. If they are followers, he puts them in groups of two by two. This is so cool. He says, now, here are the towns and the areas that I'm going to go to in just a, a few days. I want you to go first, and here's what I want you to do on your little field trip when you go into these groups. Number one, don't carry any money or a knapsack. Number two, uh, carry no extra sandals. Number three, as you go and stay in homes, always bring peace. Don't start arguments. Go in peace. And then I will give you the power, Jesus said, to heal the sick and then spread the word that the kingdom is near. They go out. And when they come back, there's this huge celebration because they saw lives changed because of Jesus Christ. And Jesus was so proud of them. How many of you here have ever coached kids? Raise your hand if you've coached in any way. Good. How many of you have ever taught kids? Raise your hand. Teachers and coaches. Okay. So you all know this feeling. It's the feeling of, I'm wasting my life, okay? Like, they don't get it. Like, if you've coached, like, have you ever watched a t-ball game? If you're having a bad day, just go watch a t-ball game. Ball goes in the outfield, all 10 kids chase the ball, and the coach is yelling, hey, somebody's got to cover second. Wait a minute. You don't even know what that means. You know, they're, you're trying to get them, and you get so frustrated because you're like, they don't get it. They just don't get it. And then, if you're coaching, there's that kid, you know, the one that can never get his shoes tied. Bases loaded, that kid rips it in the gap, wins the game, and you're like, he gets it. She gets it. It's the same thing in teaching, isn't it? You're teaching, you come home, you're like, I know I was a lot smarter when I was their age. I mean, these kids are not getting it. And then one day the light comes on and you just see what? They're getting it. That's what's happened here. Jesus, I think with all the frustrations, sees this group and he's like, you get it. You did exactly what I asked you to do. You stepped out in faith. You get it. I love this quote by William Coffin. Faith isn't believing without proof. Faith is trusting without reservation. And let me say that again. Faith isn't believing without proof. Faith is trusting without reservation. They didn't need any more proof. We don't need any more proof, do we? It's not the proof. It's faithfully without reservation doing what Jesus has called us to do. And you know one of the hardest things he's called us to do? We're going to get to it, to be a good neighbor. Matter of fact, that's the next person. This question of who Jesus is talking to. He's talking to us. He's talking to these 72. And more importantly, there's this conversation in uh, chapter 10, verse 25 through 37. And there's a lawyer, an expert of the law, Jewish lawyer. And he comes to Jesus and he asks Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now he's asking this. This is my opinion. I think he's got a pretty arrogant attitude like, I already know the answer because, I mean, I'm, I'm a pretty big deal. You know, I'm a lawyer. I know the law. And so I just want to hear you say, do this, and 
so I can just agree with you that I'm, I'm an awesome individual. And so Jesus says, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And boy, he's falling right into the trap as Jesus is teaching. And here's the problem with the lawyer as he approached Jesus. I think he already knew what Jesus felt, but he was looking for something. I think can illustrate with, this is an individual, some of you have no idea when I mention this name. Some of you will be like, I can't believe he pulled that guy out of the hat. But uh, back in the 1920s, long before we had stand-up comedians, like today with Jerry Seinfeld and uh, Gaffner and all the gang, okay, he had this guy named W.C. Fields. Anybody know who that was? There he is. Uh, W.C. Fields was known for his sarcasm and his lifestyle. And his lifestyle was as far away from God as you can imagine. He was just um, doing everything in his life to do what God did not want him to do. So here are a couple things W.C. Fields said. Everybody's got to believe in something. I believe I'll have another beer. That's W.C. Fields. Start every day with a smile and then get over it, okay? He'd be, a, he'd be a picnic to live with, wouldn't he? When he was dying, his friends could not believe something happened. He started reading the Bible. And one of his friends one day said, you have been so vocal about not even believing in God, and now you're actually reading the Bible W.C. Fields said, I'm looking for loopholes. I'm looking for loopholes. That's what the lawyer's doing. He's looking for loopholes. He knows I'm not where I probably should be with God and the way I treat others, but if I can convince Jesus that I'm really intelligent, that I really know the law, that will be enough. What Jesus does then is he turns the tables, not just to him, but he turns the tables towards us. Which leads me to my second question. Why is this story of the Good Samaritan relevant today? Why is it so relevant today? So let's look at it, starting in verse 30. Jesus replies with this story. There's a man, he's going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and when he's attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and they went away, leaving him, what was he? Half dead. That's really important. So they've, this poor guy who's traveled from Jerusalem to Jericho on a very dangerous road, 18 to 20 miles. Actually, in those days, that road was called the Pass of Blood. So a lot of people uh, were beaten on that road and robbed. But not only had he been beaten and robbed, he had been stripped of his clothes. And in total humiliation and vulnerability, he's left to die. Moaning and groaning for life. So Jesus has painted a pretty bleak picture, wouldn't you say? And I'm sure the lawyer is thinking, where is he going with this? Oh, I know where he's going. This guy is beaten. Me being the lawyer, we'll take care of it, okay? And then Jesus changes the story. He brings in the next character, verse 31. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the what? The other side. Nice guy. So here's this guy, nearly dead, moaning and groaning, and he literally walks the other side. Some scholars say, well, the reason the priest did that 
is because they know, for example, Numbers 19, you're not supposed to touch a dead body. So he is just literally by the letter of the law, seeing, looking over like, he's going to die. I'll just go to the other side of the road. Now, I would say that's not the kind of priest you want. Would you agree? Now, he might have been busy. He had a lot on his plate. I mean, he's a priest. He's an important guy. Why would you stop for somebody dying? I mean, seriously. It gets worse. Verse 32, then a Levite came by to the place, saw him pass by on the other side. Now, in some translations, it reads, for example, in King James, he went over and looked at the man, then he went to the other side, which is even worse. He's moaning, he's groaning, he looks down, he's like, yeah, he's, he's going to go. Yeah, I got to get to the temple. Because a Levite is the assistant of the priest. So the fact that he came after the priest means he's probably running late. Probably why he's still an assistant. You know, he's, he's off. He didn't have time. He's busy. Now, right about now, you got to know the lawyer listening to this story is thinking, this is a strange story. And then Jesus throws the ultimate curve. Look at verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came by where the man was, saw him. He took pity on him. He went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring and oil and wine. He put the man on his own donkey. He brought him to the inn. He took care of him. Then the next day, he took out two denarii, and he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you. So he's not only taking care of him, he's pouring in his own resources to take care of him, and his time to take care of him. Wow. Now, if you're the listener and you're a Jewish lawyer steeped in the law, what part of that story is really upsetting you right now? The Samaritan. I'm the, the good Samaritan. That's an oxymoron to this guy. There are no good Samaritans. There are no good Samaritans. Do you know what I mean by oxymoron? It's when you take something, like two words that make no sense, and you put them together, and they make sense. Does that make any sense? Do you see what I'm saying? So, for example, gumbo shrimp, okay, makes no sense, but it makes sense. Good grief. Does that make any sense? How many of you ever heard somebody go, I'm going on a working vacation, okay? Is there really such a thing? Good Samaritan? See, what Jesus is really saying is, it's easy to say, love your neighbor, and it's easy to say, as long as my neighbor treats me the way I want to be treated, we're fine. But Jesus said, no, no, no. You love everyone, even the Samaritan. We need to realize why it's relevant today. That means we are called to love, are you ready for this? Our neighbors, all of our neighbors. Whether they have a different color skin, whether they have a different religious affiliation, or a different political party, whether they think you should wear mask or you shouldn't wear mask. Am I getting personal? Good, because that's what Jesus did. He said, you know who your neighbor is? The person who annoys you the most. That's your neighbor. Now, I know none of you do this. None of you do this. Uh, what I mean by people who annoy you, but have you ever got a text and you look at it and you're like, not today. 
Am I the only one? <laughs> Heather answered this, so I'll make her answer it again. There are people in life that are EJRs. Heather, that means extra grace required. Anybody know those folks? They might be here today. I don't know. Now, here's one example I gave. Again, I know none of you have ever done this. You go to Walmart, you walk in, you look about 200 feet down, you see somebody, and they haven't seen you yet. And what do you do? The other way. Oh, I think I'll go to Kohl's today. You know, you just get to the store, go to everyone. Why? We all have people in our lives that are our neighbors. Now it gets real. And that's when Jesus is talking to us. We need to realize that question is so relevant today. That if Jesus were sitting here right now and he said, okay, let's talk about your neighbors. I don't mean the neighbor across the street. Like, for example, my neighbors, every neighbor around me, I could not have better neighbors. He's not talking about that. I'm talking about everybody that you come in contact with every day. Guess what? That's your neighbor. Now, what are you going to do to love them the way Jesus loved us? I read this story, and I don't know why, but it just kind of tugged my heart. There's a, a young woman hiking by herself out in Colorado on a mountain trail. And uh, if you've been hiking out in Colorado, you know, invariably, you're going to come across a stream. It's always ice cold. And she uh, got her foot wedged in uh, a rock formation and uh, pulled up really hard and lost her hiking boot. And so here she is, one of her feet are just uh, completely barefoot. She's wrapping stuff around it and making her way down this trail with one good shoe and one makeshift boot and uh, a lot of pain, and she just is trying to get to the bottom of the mountain. Passing people left and right, nobody would even look at her. And she didn't want to cry out for help. She just assumed it was coming. Finally, these two hikers stopped, and this woman said, oh, what happened to your foot? She goes, I was at the top of the mountain. She goes, oh, no, don't worry about it. She reached in her backpack. She goes, I actually have an extra pair of sandals, and I think this one will fit you. And I'm going to go ahead and write my address on it. And um, if you need anything else, you let me know. And then when you get home, take your time, just mail it back to me. A few days later, that woman got a letter from that young woman. She said, you don't understand. As I walked down the mountain, nobody helped. Nobody cared. Then you showed up. You gave me your sandal. And it made all the difference. She gave her more than a sandal. Now, I wish there were times in my life, I wish every day that I lived like that. But not always. Which leads me to scriptures that convict us, like James 1.27. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after the orphans and the widows and their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. James 1.27. Dumb question. Who wrote James? Anybody? James, yeah, that's pretty sharp, yeah. I'm going to start simple. And James had a brother. Perhaps you know of him. Jesus. That'd be hard, wouldn't it? Jesus being your brother. And James is writing from his heart, I want to tell you about my brother. I want to tell you what he said about religion. It's not about what you learn. It's about how you treat the widows and the orphans and those that are hurting 
and those that are crying out for help. That's religion. Would you all agree? People don't walk away from religion because they've been helped. They walk away from religion because they've been hurt. Why? Because it's all about the words and it's not about the actions. You see, Jesus said, put yourself in the story. Put yourself there, which is exactly what I'm asking you. Where are you in this story? Where are you? Because that's why Jesus wrote parables, so that people could understand in a practical way, very complicated teachings that weighed people down. He said, oh, no, no, you're getting way too deep into this and you're missing the point. Let me make the point. He'd tell a parable. And what he wanted you to listen to is where are you in the story? So for example, there's two what I think are the most profound as far as people uh, leaning into parables. I think this is one of them, the Good Samaritan and the Prodigal Son. If you read the Prodigal Son, all you have to do is put yourself in the story and say, where are you? Are you the rebellious kid? Are you the older brother? Are you the father reaching out your arms, doing whatever it takes to reach your kids? Because you're in there somewhere. And some days you may feel like the fatted calf. You know what I'm saying? You put yourself in the parable. In this parable, what do you got to do? Put yourself there. Okay, are there times that I am just like that Jewish lawyer? I mean, I know stuff. I've been in so many Bible studies. I can tell you the Greek definition of every word. I can do this. Okay, great. But are you actually helping people? Are you actually taking the words and putting those into motion? Are you allowing knowledge to actually be prideful in your life? Or maybe you're the priest. You've got a lot of responsibilities. Your schedule is full. And you are doing a lot of good things. You don't have time to help everyone. But you know God is probably tugging on your heart right now. Yeah, but you know this week there was that one person I should have probably called. You know, there's a text I probably should have sent. I had a good friend of mine right after first service, he came up and he showed me his phone. He said, John, I don't usually do this, but I got a couple of texts while you were preaching. And he said, they were texts about neighbors and community. And he said, it really is true how important it is to help your neighbors. It's true. Maybe you're like that assistant, that Levite. You're curious, but you're calloused. You know somebody needs help, but you've convinced yourself, I just don't have the resources to really help. Maybe, here's the key, somebody else can do that. You know, I always, I love that quote. There's, uh, I always ask, why doesn't somebody do something? And then one day I looked in the mirror and realized I am somebody. It isn't always somebody else, okay? We can do something. Or maybe, maybe God has done some things through you and you're like that Samaritan. Maybe you help somebody that doesn't look like you or believe the things you believe or act like you or make the same choices you would have made and you love them anyway. Maybe that's where you're at. Matter of fact, I think the real question Jesus is asking isn't who is my neighbor? 
I think the real question is, how can I help my neighbor? And there's a huge difference. Matter of fact, all of you should have a card on your chair. And on that card, it has a prayer card. And it's simply this week, and even throughout this next part of the worship, ask, who are you in the story? Where are you in the story? And then who is someone God is putting on your heart at this time? God may be laying somebody on your heart that you can help. And I want you to try to just pray through that and see, God, I want to do something about that. Now, I want to close with this because uh, this is important. We've always heard we are to love our neighbor as what? Ourself. So there's, there's another person in that story. Who did I leave out? The guy that was half dead. The guy that needed help. You may be right now in a position, the reason you really can't be the good Samaritan is you're about half dead. You're stressed out. You're beat up. And here's the problem. You refuse to ask for help. You've got to ask for help. Because the problem is so many times when we don't deal with the pain that we're going through, how in the world can we help somebody else? There are times God says, guess what? You're the one on the road. You ever been on the road? I have. You ever been in a vulnerable position and somebody out of the blue that you don't even know shows up to help? I shared with you a couple of years ago, um, um, this happened to my youngest daughter. She was driving home from school in Chicago, and it was like it is now, bitter cold. She was calling us four hours away, three hours away. Every parent goes through this. I think, Dad, I, Daddy, Daddy, I think I'm losing air in my tire. I said, well, pull over. And then she pulls over, and she goes, okay. Uh, and then she's crying, <clears throat> which kills the dad. And then um, she said, I'm so scared. And I said, honey, I'll drive. And she said, I think I can go to the next gas station. So she gets to the next gas station. And I said, did you, did you find somebody to help you? And she said, yes, I did. Somebody helped me. She said, it was a minivan. She said, I felt so safe. <laughs> she said, it was a minivan. The window opened, and there was a man, and he had his kids. And you know what he said? I know you're scared. I'm here. I'm a family man. Thank God for family, man. <laughs> and I thought, how many times we pass people? For him, he took five minutes to help a little girl. She wasn't little, but to me, she's always my baby. It meant the world to a dad, I'll tell you that. We can be the hands and feet of Christ. We can. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you, and we love you for loving us so much. And sometimes your teachings, they're hard. And Lord, I just pray that when we read parables, we don't always put other people in the story. Lord, we need to be in the story. We need to walk with you. We need to listen to you. And then what you have told them to do, Lord, you're telling us to do. Give us the courage to do that. And Lord, if there's anyone here and they just need help as a church, I just pray that we will help. And as a church, we will be the neighbors that you want us to be for others. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.